Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply, guys. The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I am Kate Willett. And I'm Julia Claire. And I apologize for the audio on the intro this week. We have better audio on the interview, but uh, we are recording on Wednesday during the day and Julia is at work and I am in a basement. That's in right. Yeah. We're two um, working girls. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I'm a, this. I'm. I'm just. I'm in a basement. It's not even my basement. I just. I'm a woman that tours basements throughout the country. You know, a woman. A woman of basement fame. Yes, <laughs> famous basement woman. <laughs> well, I will say that in my basement exploration, I have been going on Reddit a lot. And can I tell you about something? The anti-work subreddit is so lit. It's just, <laughs> no, it's a, it's, it's only, I'm, I'm not like a Reddit person or anything, but I love this subreddit because it's people just like posting them just telling their boss that they're never going to come back to work. And also people just, you know, posting about like union shit. It's a, it's like, a, it's like, it definitely has a very leftist, very anti-capitalist flavor. And um, I simply love to see people telling their boss the fuck off all the time. Well, we love that. And we yeah. love and su- we love and support anti-work Twitter, uh, Twitter and anti-work Reddit. Yeah, there was this lady that posted the other day. It went viral on Twitter, too. But um, she asked about the pay for a position that she was interesting at, interested at. She asked about pay interviewing at. I'm sorry. All right. She asked about the pay and benefits for a position that she was interviewing at, and they canceled her interview because she asked about the pay and benefits, and they were oh like, oh, this is, you know, not in line with our company's values. And they <sighs> highlight some little script from their, like, job application that says that they're looking for passionate applicants um, who are intrinsically motivated. Uh, it's, oh, my God. <sighs> I mean, like, the just the whole idea of not putting the pay on job listings absolutely ridiculous yeah it's absurd i've i mean anyone who's looked for a job it's it's one of the most frustrating things like you're supposed to go through the whole four or five often you know interviews without knowing like if it's gonna be an amount of money that you can even live live off of yeah absurd stupid absurd yeah but you said to me before we started that you had a reply guy of the week, which I'm very excited about. Because we've well, uh, well, um, I'm I'm pretty excited about this reply guy of the week because um, he's he's just a guy who's so easy to hate. <laughs> Who is he? Who is it, Julia? It's Matty Iglesias. Uh, oh my God! What's what's what did he say this time? So he was quote tweeting a Kate Arnoff tweet, um, who is a writer for New Republic. And he and she said, people really underestimate how dystopian the United States is. And then he replied to that <laughs> saying, I don't think the American left is going to get far until it can acknowledge that average living standards in this country are actually very high. And that's the approximate, uh, that's the appropriate context in which to think about specific problems. Uh, is America already great? Is that what our bud Matt is saying? Is America? I, is I think he's saying America's already great. And that's, you know, as we know, that Hillary ran on that and that was a winning message. Uh, really resonated with people, yeah. People, you know, people agreed. Uh, people agreed. No, I, I was so mad at this. I, I was really mad about this. It actually, um, it's kind of like in the neighborhood of, a disagreement I get in with uh, my boyfriend about a lot. Um, you know, he immigrated here. So I think it behooves him to think of America as a good place, <laughs> just spiritually. Yeah. Um, but I, I think he thinks I'm too down on, on the U S and anyone who thinks that I'm like the neolib of this podcast i wish you could be on a a fly on the wall of my conversations with him because baby i go i go for it but yeah i 
Well, see, Julia, what you need to do, <laughs> what you need to do if you want to have a good leftist relationship is get you a man who calls you bourgeois because your apartment has a stove. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I heard about a relationship in which that happened. Um, I, I don't know. Turned through the grapevine, I guess. Wow. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, it's like, it's such a silly, facile argument. The one that Maddie Iglesias is making because first the of all, still average, one too, but okay. There's still one yeah. too. <laughs> But like, first of all, because average and median are two different things. Yes. Two very different things in terms of household income. And um, also. Penis size. That's right. Yeah. That's what nobody's talking about. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's such a silly and facile argument, obviously, because average and median are two, two very different things, but also because you know, the quote unquote average or median pay in being higher in the United States is, you know, belies the fact that we pay out of pocket for everything. Yeah. Like living on $30,000 a year in the United States and living on $30,000 a year in France, Spain, Norway, any of those places are two very, very, very different things. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, no, and it's like I think Metaglacius, as, as someone pointed out, from like many, many, uh, many generations of wealth, um, <laughs> he is very dumb. He just—I also think that he's one of these dudes that has a like a public humiliation fetish that he likes to get out on Twitter. And it's like to myself, I'm like, okay, you know, it's fine to have a public humiliation fetish, but also, you know, one of the main things about participating in a fetish is that other people. You can't, if other people are going to watch you, you have to, they have to be consenting, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, for these men that want to humiliate themselves daily for their own excitement on Twitter, did we consent to that? Did we consent to being part of this? I, you know, I, I just, you know what? We didn't. We did I don't not. think it's, I don't think it's safe, sane, and consensual. I really don't. <laughs> um, I, uh, very, kind of bad news today. Um, well, I'll start with some good news, uh, which is that the the, the first there's going to be the the first unionized Starbucks, which is good. Um, but it's in, in, it's in Buffalo. Yeah, but in worse news, um, Kellogg workers have been striking. They've been on strike for more than two months, um, and you know the Kellogg did not meet their demands so they have you know rejected the negotiations um the you know they rejected Kellogg's offer basically um and Kellogg has decided to fire all the striking workers and replace them um this is over a uh two-tiered wage system um and uh you know uh it is it's really fucked up. Basically, they're just, you know, they're hiring, hiring scabs. And uh, mm -hmm. I think the people should boycott Kellogg's products, of which there are many, 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 um, and not scab at Kellogg. Yeah, there's got to be like a compiled list somewhere online of all their products. Oh, yeah, it definitely just like search Kellogg and there's there's tons and tons. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's, this, it's, I have to say that the Starbucks news is very exciting. Yeah, it is really exciting. Um, and hopefully it happens, you know, more and more. Um, I mean, I saw someone today post like, you know, that they got a, a raise as a result of their company unionizing. It's a subcontractor for PG&E, which is the energy company in California. And they got a raise from $17 an hour to $45 an hour. And Whoa. yeah, so it's a, a huge difference. I mean, it's just the difference between being in a unionized workplace versus like a, a non-unionized workplace is, is so, so enormous. And, yeah, it's huge. you know, I do think they, I mean, it's not, th there have been, you know, strikes all over the country. Um, I, I think, that you know, one of the things is that it is uh, it's legal to fire striking workers. 
Um, and it really shouldn't be in my opinion. Um, so I don't know, um, please support these workers at, at Kellogg and, and do not cross the, the picket line. Um, their members overwhelmingly voted against the agreement. So, uh, that Kellogg put forward and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's don't be, don't be a serial scab. A, don't be a serial scab. Just, you know. A serial scab, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Did you see that one tweet? Like, someone called for, like, boycotting Kellogg's, and someone said that frosted mini-wheats were the only food that they could eat. <laughs> that was one of the greatest things I've ever seen online. I love that. Yeah. That's great. All right, well, we have a really good interview today for you, and it is actually about union stuff in the um, entertainment industry. We are talking to Ali Vigiano, who uh, is a union rep for the WGA about IATSE and um, the WGA and just like, you know, leftism, uh, nascent as it may be, like, you know, among people in the entertainment industry. One thing that uh, is important to make clear is that Ali does not speak for the WGA. She is right. speaking on behalf of herself in this episode, but I did have a really good time talking to her. She absolutely rules. Great. Julia, good to see you. Good to and, see you. And uh, reply, guys, you know, we got a love-hate relationship. But, you know, as we near the end of the year, I just really want to reflect on how much you've meant to my life. <laughs> we, yeah, it's all love. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. This is Kate here. I'm really stoked this week about who we get to talk to for this interview. I'm really excited to have Ali Vingiano on the show. And uh, I'm just, I, it's super cool that she was willing to come on. She has like a, a ton of credits as a TV writer, just made a new film. And we're also going to dive into uh, some of the labor movement around the entertainment industry. Welcome to the show, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm super excited to be here. So, first of all, I just want to talk a little bit about this new film that you made. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, um, it's called The End of Us. I we just had the premiere last night, so I just got to see it in the big, um, you know, on a screen finally because it premiered at South by, but it was virtual, um, and. Yes, it's called The End of Us, and we made it, um, we shot it during quarantine. Um, so it's a very small budget movie. Uh, it's like five friends and I all moved into an Airbnb and just like sort of in the like the worst time of COVID when like I was so creatively empty and not doing anything and didn't know how to be productive. And not that I even was trying to be productive, but this idea was presented to me to act in this film that my friends were creating and... Um, we shot it in like three weeks. It's a film about a couple, me and Ben Coleman, who plays the um, other person in the couple. We play, uh, basically we break up right before quarantine starts and then we continue to live together for the next couple months trying to figure out our lives. And it ultimately is a story, just like a very relatable um, story about love and about falling out of love and about trying to move on with your life and trying to get over somebody you still um, really care about. And so I think it is ultimately, even though it is, you know, it does take place during COVID, I think ultimately it's just a human story. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so much there. Um, I mean, being in a relationship during COVID or especially being in a, a relationship that's ending during COVID, I think is an experience that a lot of people had. Um, what do you yes. feel like this <laughs> film like taught you about that experience, like spending so much time with it, that idea that's not like, you know, kind of the typical things that people would, would think about a situation like that? It was interesting because Ben actually was sort of going through something similar in his own life. And so it was it was very interesting, like sort of making the 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 
fake version of it and like creating our own story with these emotions that were so real and raw for him. And um, and I will say also that his ex knew about the project, supported it, like she's seen the film, like, you know, it wasn't like he was doing this in, to spite her in any way. Um, she was very supportive of it. But um, it's really like made me realize that even though like I, I did not quarantine with an ex, I can't imagine how intense and hard that would be for somebody going through it. I have so much sympathy for them. But just the need of human connection, just the fact that like I think what the movie ultimately sort of shows is that even though these people at first like hate that they have to do this, don't want to be around each other, hate each other, ultimately really come to respect each other and care about each other as people because you just want human connection and you want to be around someone and like sort of the friendship that you can find in a partner, even if you're not with them anymore, is ultimately like what I took away from the film. And I was, you know, I was happy to, you know, and also people quarantining alone is so hard. So... It's it's just all hard. I think that like, you know, I mean, people really had the the full range of emotional experiences during quarantine, like, um, you know, ranging from like it was the the closest time that they've ever had with their partner to complete isolation to like being in a really rough relationship situation. And I feel like, you know, to some extent, this experience has, I think, changed most of us as people in a pretty profound way. And it is kind of funny to me that, like, you know, we don't really, in my experience, we don't really talk about it that much. We're just kind of like going back into the world and relating to the people in our lives, like, you know, maybe similarly in many ways to the way that we did before. And I mean, maybe that's just like to be expected, but for myself personally, it does just feel like this thing of like, wow, we all went through a, a really um, profound experience, like relationally, you know, even if that was just being very, very alone. No, I think it's so real. I think it like fundamentally changed our relationship with home and with the people that we spend our time with. And like, you know, I had a partner during COVID, but like spending that much time with one person is insane. And it like shifts so much. And there's so many new struggles there. And like, I think because of the past really like year and a half, I guess, like almost, I guess, two years, um, I feel no like no matter who you whether you were alone, whether you had a partner, whether like you were whatever the situation was, I feel like we are have all shifted the way that we can like also like alone time. Like for if you have a partner, like the idea of like alone time, it just like didn't exist. And I I just feel like we've all shifted so much and have to figure figure a lot out now. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I have a completely different relationship with my alone time than I did pre-pandemic. Um, I, I'm just a very extroverted person, and I truly hated being by myself. <laughs> but I think I made a certain piece with it that I wasn't expecting, um, maybe about midway through. But, I mean, emotionally, like, in, my mind was, was kicking and screaming against it. But I, I definitely feel like a lot of people really kind of changed our relationship to to solitude in one way or another. Yeah, I mean, there's so much resistance that we have to change and to the things we don't like, like being alone or, or whatever it might be. And it, we often can distract ourselves from fighting against the resistance. Like, so that sounded very Star Wars-y, but like fighting against the resistance we have um, because we can distract ourselves with so many things. And eventually in COVID, like after or quarantine, like after enough time, it's like, okay, maybe I need to actually deal with this. And like, I think uh, hopefully, I mean, it's cool that like you were able to change your relationship with it and hopefully other people were too. So what was it like to, I mean, this is such a big question, but what, what I was going to say, maybe I'll, I'll get a little bit more specific, but what, what I was going to say is like, what was it like to, to be investing so much um, of yourself and your energy um, in this project. Wow, like there was obviously, you know, a bunch of other shit going on in the world. I ask because like, I think for so many of us, like we actually do need to do creative stuff to be like 
emotionally and mentally healthy people. But I know to to me also, it can feel like, how can I even be thinking about art right now while all this crap is going down and, and maybe forever, you know, maybe it's just like mm-hmm. that now. But how did you kind of balance that or compartmentalize or use it? Before we started shooting, I felt exactly what you were just describing. I was like, I just, I couldn't believe that we, I I was having a very hard time um, with the idea that this was happening. And like, I was still like, this was before you knew that COVID like wasn't on surfaces. And so just like the health risk of moving into an Airbnb, even though we all quarantined for two weeks, we all got COVID tests, like um, it freaked me out. And I was really, um, you know, this was like right after the like, primaries like this was like a very I was very politically engaged during this time um and so I sort of freaked out like the day before we started filming and even the first day in the Airbnb I was I just like I was really anxious about it and then about 24 hours later once we actually started filming and sort of settled into the space it was this emergence of like I truly even though it hadn't been that long, like I truly forgot what it, how good it felt to create something. And I felt so like soothed and like, like this reemergence of like my soul that I like felt like had temporarily like just gone away. Um, And I spent like the next two weeks, like hardly reading the news, just like, and we improvised like um, a lot of the film, like the basically all the dialogue and so although the story was there and um so because of that i had to be so present and i had it was just like listening and like we shot until like midnight some nights like there was just no time to think about anything else and it was such a gift and then the last day of filming um i think it actually was the second to last day of filming is when the the riot like when the george floyd like um, I forget. I think it was when the protests started in LA. Um, so it totally shifted after that, you know, like it just became like, why did we, this movie's like, what stupid, <laughs> like, why did we even make this? Like, there's so many more important things going on and you have that feeling Russian, but, um, yeah, it was like this, this, this few weeks where I was able to distance myself from the the world which helped i think that i mean i worked on a book during the pandemic and for me that was like the real <laughs> that was like the, the the point at which i was able to like kind of hold on to my own sanity and it made me i think feel a lot more resilient with the ups and downs of it i think you know obviously like i mean it's really important to have mental health care available to to everybody and it's a big problem that we don't and like it would also you know it goes without saying that like if people's material needs were met then i think that would you know potentially uh, really 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 um alleviate a lot of the anxiety depression in our society and it it often gets talked about i think in, in two individualistic terms but that being said that's so I, yeah no oh sorry i i yeah i was just gonna say there's there's just a huge benefit like emotionally and mentally to doing creative work and you know i think that like I don't know. I it, it, It's just like a thing that I feel like a lot of artists are, are reckoning right now with like, you know, how do, how do I make work when the world is, is so bad? And I think that I, I hope that people continue to because, I mean, it just it it really, really, really helps in my experience. I can. Yeah, no, 100 percent. If you are a creative person and I think everyone is a creative person in some capacity but if that's like I do feel like I mean now I'm struggling to get back in that place of wanting you know being able to go make something on my own and and feeling inspired in that way but it does help so much and what you were saying about material like how so much mental health is linked to material um and just like 
I, I feel like there's like a lot of studies that like have proven that like if people made like I think it was like seventy thousand dollars a year, like it, like sorry, I'm just basically I for, I'm forgetting what the study is, but it's basically just that like ever like it would improve mental health so much, and so many of people's anxieties and stresses are just linked to not having um, access or 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 the things that they need just to survive. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, you know, I, I'm not trying to say that, like, you know, mental illness isn't real or chemical or that, like, it no. would magically go away if people had more money. But, like, being in financial trouble, not having secure housing, not having medical care, not having enough food in many instances, like, I mean, it's pretty impossible to feel good when you're in that situation. And I think even like on another level, like it's it's hard to feel good even in a society with like so much precarity. Like even if you yourself are in a situation where like everything, you know, is sorted out. I think like even a lot of people who are like doing fine financially, like they do feel like this, you know, really intense, like underlying anxiety of just like knowing like what uh like how little society cares for people like you know in this uh, late stage of capitalism like you know just the bottom is so far down that I, I think like even if you know for people that are middle class or you know or or even potentially doing a lot better than that like the anxiety still affects everyone and I think that like I don't know, this is turning into kind of a rant, so I'm sorry. But I, I do think that if, you know, we lived in a country where, like, everyone knew that they were going to be taken care of as, as an old person and that their children would, like, that, I, I do think that that would make people feel uh, quite a bit better, you know? Yeah, 100%. So I do want to get into um, another topic with you. You've been a writer and producer for a long time and have just worked in the entertainment industry, um, you know, in so many different capacities. And when we were talking about what to talk about on the podcast, um, one thing that you brought up was that you really wanted to discuss unions and filmmaking. And, and this topic has, I think, been, you know, forefront um, in, in recent times, but, uh, yeah, it's it's certainly, you know, there are a lot of unions um, in the entertainment industry and many people are, are union members. And I guess just kind of like for people who may be sort of tuning into that discussion for the first time, just like what's like a kind of quick overview for like why unions are so beneficial? Well, I mean specifically and I'll, I'll answer it first specifically in filmmaking i suppose but of course they're beneficial in every you know i i hope that we're all workers can unionize um but yeah so in the entertainment industry there's unions that protect basically different jobs that exist there's the writers guild there's the directors guild and what has been recently in the news a lot is iatsi which is basically i think it's actually like 13 different unions that form IATSE and it's people who work in basically film crews so it would be like your cinematographer your grips and then also assistants are part of IATSE's for writers writers assistants and also script coordinators who are considered assistants although it is not an assistant job and that is a big issue in my opinion the way that we treat strip, script coordinators but um and it the unions protect wage like they'll you know they set minimum wages but they also protect um and give you things like you know have protections like hours that you can work because the way that studios abuse film crews is pretty insane you know people work 14 to 16 hour days and they provide health care pensions um and you know this is an industry where like studios are making billions and billions of dollars and if these unions didn't exist no writer producer or any crew member would like see a dollar of that um and that's yeah i mean that's ultimately why it's important is so that people can 
although there is a lot of work to do and i think that's like the in a discussion i'm interested in having with you but um but it is but the the unions that do exist have done a pretty good job of making sure that entertainment workers are protected yeah i mean one thing that I we're talking about, like right after the primary, that feels like so long ago at this point. But one, one thing that I felt strongly during the primary is like I did feel like there was like a lot of um, vitriol during the primary uh, coming from people in the entertainment industry towards Bernie Sanders campaign and even towards some of his ideas, you know, um, which like. Uh, on the one hand, to be expected, right? Like a lot of people mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry have like tons and tons of money and it probably, you know, may have either never known or have completely forgotten what it's like to be a person that is really struggling. But on the other hand, it, it's like so many people, you know, actors, producers, writers, like have hugely benefited from unions. And, you know, you think like... um on on one level would be able to see like why it's really important for workers to have power you know because of their own experiences and i guess you know i was just as a person that's more uh left inclined like it, you know probably around people who are you know i'm, I'm imagining are, are mostly not conservative but maybe more sort of like you know centrist liberal like it, how receptive do you feel like people are to more left ideas? Oh God, (laughs) there's so much work to be done in that regard. I do feel like, um, you know, what you were saying is, is right where it is an industry where people make a lot of money and I'm not to, not to be like unions aren't as important here, you know, but it is a sort of thing where it's like Amazon they make TV and film. They negotiate contracts through unions constantly for their entertainment. You know, anything that they're buying or making, they're they're using collective bargaining to like negotiate those deals. And but they will not allow their own employees and warehouses to unionize, or they're fighting against it. And like, I just think that anyone who is in entertainment who has ever worked for any of these companies being protected through a union and getting your wages like protected through that union um, to then not support workers' rights and to be an advocate for it and to be like take us an actual leftist stand and not a liberal stand on these issues, I do think is, um, you know, it's something that I hope that pe- people can start to analyze a little more because we're benefiting from these same, you know, we're it's not we're working with these huge like tech companies now. So yeah yeah i mean one thing that one kind of theory that i have is like you know in the entertainment industry like i mean it has been hugely dominated by straight white men and you know there is a good and important push for more representation and i think that that's like you know, it's it's tremendously important. I'm glad that it's happening. Like writers' rooms should not be all white guys, and like you know, movies and TV should not be you know all white actors, all young actors, all straight actors. Like, I mean, it's just fucked up. So this this push for representation, it's really good. It hasn't gone far enough, but I do think that sometimes people in the entertainment industry will like sort of, you know transpose that idea of like representation like as like a one for one onto politics so you know kind of feeling like oh well you know bernie sanders white dude already too many of them you know let's get kamala harris in here and sort of like forget that there's this whole component of like who their policies would impact and that justice on that level is is also really important Yes. I mean, I think that is exactly right. And that is very much like, I think, you know, of course, there's a lot of, I I think a lot of people do struggle with, or did struggle with, obviously, like the identity politics around Bernie and just like the idea of having another white guy, I think was hard for people just because they weren't impacted by the policies that the other politicians would have, would 
implement. And it is like this I, the, the idea of diversity in Hollywood, I think, is not is a, still a little limited. And I think although like now they're they are recognizing like disability more, which I think is so necessary and great. Like I do think class is not really part of the conversation yet. And, um, you know, like these studios also sell, you know, celebrate themselves for hiring a diverse crew and then <clears throat> work so hard to pay people no money. And it's like, okay, it's great that you're hiring more, you know, women, people of color, like, like queer people, but then you're abusing the most vulnerable and making sure that like, if, if you have to cut a budget, that is, it, it's going to come out of like an assistant. It's not going to come out of a showrunner's salary. So it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Um, so, you know, in recent times, in what ways have unions been successful in pushing back on this, like, you know, more more profits for people at the highest levels, you know, um, you know, at the expense of, you know, lower level workers? Like, I feel like there has been a, a lot, you know, even in the, in the past few years of just really effective organizing. Well, I think like, so the IATSE, it's interesting because the IATSE just, I mean, I'm sure you know, like negotiated this huge contract, which was a big deal because they've, I don't think they've ever, uh, yeah, I don't think they've ever had a strike authorization vote. So it was a really big deal. Um, although a lot of people were not happy with it and it does, they do, you know, um, the studios, like they do need to keep doing a lot of work to make sure that, that their contracts are, um, continue. I, I think they should negotiate like every few years, the same way the WGA does, because there's a lot more work that needs to be done, but that was a really good start. And it did allow people to have like more livable hours, really, um, weekends, some pretty basic things. And the WGA um, was we were going to have a strike authorization vote before COVID to strike for our residuals because there's basically no residuals being made for any streaming service anymore. Um, we did not strike. I'm a union rep for the WGA. And so like um, a little bit like in these conversations, but we didn't end up striking for um, obviously because of COVID. But like now we're we are gearing up to renegotiate our residuals. So hopefully that will strike. I mean, hopefully, hopefully that, uh, you know, ho hopefully that will happen. But everything that we have has been won through a union. Our minimums have been through because of our union, our health care. We just a few years ago, for the first time ever, have maternity and paternity leave. Um, so that just happened. Yeah. And I think in 2019 or 2018. Um, so that's a huge win. So it's, you know, moving slowly, but we would have no pension, um, no, uh, the span rule. So like people get paid per episode and you can get paid like a certain amount and the you know, for 10 episodes and then work for two years on those 10 episodes and make the same rate, whether you're working three months or two years. So that was a huge issue that we won also through negotiations where now it, there's a certain amount of time in which those 10 episodes, you know, can count towards. Um, and do you yeah, feel like ahead. it's uh, impacted your career in any way to be so openly pro-union and to be a union rep like has that have you faced any um backlash or punishment for that in any ways um i have i don't i i have felt some <laughs> resentment yeah, I know it's like hard to quantify right because yeah. like no, nobody like says out loud oh by the way i was gonna consider you for this opportunity but i changed my mind like you, you never know about that stuff so but it is scary like i do feel scared sometimes of like speaking out and like talking about things like especially like talking about like nepotism like it is such a big issue the way that assistants are treated right now and there's really no path to getting staffed anymore and you and people end up just hiring like their kids or their kids friends or the people they know and like it is a real limitation to like creating a diverse 
a diverse storytelling and, and, a, and a diverse Hollywood and like allowing people access to the industry who have unique stories and who have unique backgrounds and like breaking in is just really hard now. So like I think talking about things like that does scare me a bit. But your question, which is has it impacted me is um, so I did work on a show where they paid us really, really late. Um, like some people didn't get paid for like a year and it's sort of just like, oh, yeah, that's how it happens. Like, that's the industry. Like, um, and, you know, I did end up getting the union involved and like people got um, you get people got interest payments. So you get payments for like the fact that they didn't pay you interest accrues. And um, that was definitely the scariest thing that I did. And I was very afraid of that coming back to hurt me. And maybe I shouldn't say this on a podcast because someone another studio, you know, exec will hear it and be like, oh, she did that. I don't want to hire her. You know, I can't say for sure, but I'm um, fairly confident that no studio execs are listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not, I don't know. I love our fans so much. Um, it's just, we, yeah. But um, it's, it's, I don't think that we are a, a big podcast among the rich and powerful. Um, so I, th- I bet you're safe. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, like, I, you know, I mean, like when I, I feel like for myself, like as a comedian, like, um, I've always been sort of political, you know, um, especially around reproductive rights. Like that's been really important to me since I was very young and LGBT rights, but I didn't become a leftist until like, you know, 2019, I had a very politically radicalizing event. Um, where someone very close to me died and I really felt like there was an extremely good chance that he would not have died if he had been able to go to the doctor, which he was not able to because of financial reasons and, you know, racism and just like all the things that were are tied up in like the way that American society is structured, you know? And so I was like, I, I just, I did not care what happened to my career at all because I was so upset. I just felt like, okay, you know, like there was like this, um, you know, I went through this event that was like extremely, extremely horrible. And I felt like there was like a political solution to it to prevent, you know, anyone else from experiencing that. But like, you know, I definitely think that it's like, it feels, it feels weird that there's like people who in the past like might've given me jobs that are like, yeah, like fuck this Bernie bro. Like, I don't like that feeling. I'm not saying it wasn't worth it, but it does, um, you know, it, it does feel bad, especially cause totally. it's like hard to be a woman in your thirties anyway, you know, or older. Um, so I felt, I felt more scared speaking out pro Bernie than I do pro union or WGA because it uh, it is just so standard like and it is uh, you know every like to be a union member to support the WGA like I do feel like it's accepted but like posting about Bernie talking in a writer's room about Bernie like that I definitely felt like a lot of fear and um and just knew that people <laughs> really disagreed with me yeah, a lot of celebrities just fucking hated that guy, you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't, you know, there's obviously, like, this whole debate around, like, Susan Sarandon in particular, which, like, to oh, me... Yeah, it's her fault sort of, that... Well, to like, me, it's sort of, Roe like... Wade. Yeah, to me, it's sort of, like, hilarious. Like, I mean, I don't, like, you know, for what it's worth, I, the, Susan Sarandon, some of the stuff she said, like, I, you know, I wasn't... I didn't feel like it was helpful, like at minimum, like I didn't feel like it was like super uh, bringing people to the left cause in many ways to like hear someone who's like, you know, a multimillionaire being like, oh, well, you know, maybe it'll be beneficial if like Trump gets elected. I don't think that that's I I don't know. I thought it was a little tone deaf, but like I also don't think that it influenced anybody because I just cannot imagine like the profile of a person who is like oh well like um i believe certain things politically but i'm gonna change it because like an actor i liked um you know said something like i just i don't i don't personally believe that like uh entertainment people have have much influence 
at all over how people vote. Like every single celebrity supported Hillary Clinton for the most part, and it, it didn't really make a big difference. But I don't know. I mean, it's, sometimes maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here because it's like I do, you know, post about like political things all the time because I'm like, well, maybe, you know, people will listen to me or something. I don't know. But on the whole, I just don't really think it impacts anything. What are your feelings about that at this moment? I saw the people talking about Susan Sarandon sort of blaming her for Hillary losing and like for like just a lot of stuff. And I I had a similar reaction where I was like, she I she does not have that much power. <laughs> like she I don't think people were really listening to what she was saying. Like, I don't I don't know. I mean, I agree that she said tone deaf things. And I honestly was not really. Um, I wasn't like. I was also radicalized, like, <laughs> like I was not really in, like, didn't, I, my feelings towards Bernie were more complicated in 2016, like, and although I still, you know, supported him, but, um, so I was not as, like, in, I have, I, I can't really speak to that and, like, you know, how she in, impacted anybody then, but I do think that, um, celebrities are given I think yeah I think too much maybe credit for the sway like whenever they record videos of like <laughs> um you know like encourage like encouraging you to vote or whatever it might be like I think it's great and I understand why they do that and they have a huge platform and like if I had millions of followers I would totally post political things and like make sure that I was trying to inform people about like my values and stick up for what's right so it's like i get why celebrities do it but no i don't think any celebrity is to blame for any political action yeah i mean people ask me with comedy sometimes like you know they'll be like oh you know do you think that this is like changing people's minds you know like like almost like doing stand-up is like a political action and i think when i was like you know a newer comedian i i did feel like oh, yeah, maybe if I tell these feminist jokes, it'll, like, bring someone over to the feminist cause or whatever. But I don't know. I don't, I don't really, I just don't really think it has as much impact as people, I don't think art has as much impact as, as people think it does. But then on the other hand, I can think of cases where I do feel like it does. Like, you know, Dave Chappelle's recent special was, like, a big subject of controversy. And, I, you know, I think, you know, he's, he's like, um, I don't think that he, you know, created new anti-trans bigots out of whole cloth or anything like that. But I think for people that are kind of like, you know, learning about stuff for the first time, like, you know, seeing a celebrity that they admire, like validate, you know, the kind of the, their worst opinions, like uh, it definitely doesn't help, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a difference, though, between a celebrity tweeting something that's their opinion and creating art. Like, I do think that art does have a big impact. And I, I think it's probably even more effective than, you know, a celebrity doing a commercial to support a political candidate or something like that. Um, because we we have this, a lot of the public, I think, has a tendency to feel like, stay in your lane or like, you're an actor, like, I don't need to care about your political opinion. Um, but I do think you doing feminist stand up has a, an impact on people. And I think hearing that in a room and hearing someone else's perspective and like getting to laugh and getting to see things from someone else's perspective for five minutes or an hour um, does make it does have a big impact. And like, I think creating a film like I'm trying to think of a really good example of it. Um, but and a lot of films that are about more like political subjects maybe aren't that widely seen. But um, I do think it had like filmmaking and like creating films about issues, I think is way more effective than, uh, you know, a political uh, or like a, an actor stating a belief. Um, there was this movie I watched recently called Holler that I thought was so, it, it was just like, again, it's a small movie. Like, I don't think a lot of people saw it, but it's, a really interesting perspective of like working class. Um, it's like a young woman in rural America, like trying to get out of this, you know, in a really hard financial situation. She works in like a scrap trade yard and something like that. Like if more people could see it, I think would have an actual impact. 
Yeah, I, I, I see your point. I go back and forth about this all the time. I think that the thing that kind of like made me feel like, you know, jokes in particular, but art in general, like I just saw during the Trump era, you know, like every single late night host would go on TV every day and be like, oh, he's orange. You know, Trump is orange. He has little hands. And it's like, you know, it just like wasn't doing anything. But I do think no, that, that doesn't count. Yeah, but I do think, you know, like I do think that I do think the art can kind of open people's minds and get people to look at things in a new way. And now I'm thinking through it, like, you know, it, I mean, if, you know, Stephen Colbert had, you know, a, a more incisive political critique of Trump versus like, you know, this guy is, you know, had a P tape or whatever. I mean, that potentially could have done something i don't know but so yeah i don't know I, I i just really change my mind all the time about what i think about this stuff you know totally i i get that and like i do agree the late night shows just have so they just go out of their way to not have an opinion about something and i think that's why because they want to be so evergreen and appeal to everybody and so it's like that's why it doesn't move the needle in any way and like it doesn't resonate and it's not it, 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 like critical it doesn't change anything in the political landscape um but i do i do i think just have to believe that art makes some sort of impact and i will i will say in 2016 i made a short film and um when i was yeah and it's basically about a woman sort of like um running into her rapist and then ending she ends up confronting him and um so it's a more dramatic short film and when i released it it is not the sort of thing I expected millions of people to watch, but millions of people watched it. And the messages that I got from people were like, to me, just like so, it just, I, and again, like, I don't think it changed the world in any way, but like the the hearing people reach out to me and message me and wanting to talk about their experience and what, like how they saw themselves represented in the film and feeling like they never see this accurately represented, like PTSD and, um, and just like it just it just did give me this feeling that like, you know what, like people feeling less alone and people what people can get from something that's really scary that I'm might, you know, that I'm going to make and put out in the world um, makes some sort of impact on someone's life, even if it doesn't change their opinion or change their political perspective or like, you know, um, but I, I so I think because of that, I sort of. I do live with this philosophy that like art can change something, even if it's small. I know I totally I, I get you. I um I just watched uh Made. Have you seen that show? No, I can't bring myself to watch it because I know it's like important. I know it's like it, it is an important issue to me, like the way we treat domestic workers, but I guess because they cast like this really rich woman, like this person who was born into Hollywood royalty and then like her actual mom, I can't like wrap my head around. No, I understand it. that that really bummed me out as well. But I did like the show. And one thing I really liked about it is, you know, it just showed so clearly what it is like to be a poor single mom trying to get government assistance and all of the fucking red tape means testing around it. And it's like, next time I have, you know, a conservative relative or a more conservative friend who's expressing some opinion along the lines of like, oh, well, you know, I mean, there's, there's help for people who, who need it. Like, you know, there's no, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, we basically just like, you know, resources are available to everyone who, who needs it. I feel like I, I would definitely just recommend that they just like watch like the first episode of this show because it just, you know, it shows her going to uh, a meeting with a social worker for the first time and to get childcare, she has to have a job, but there's like no way for her to <laughs> go to that job in the first place without childcare. So she ends up leaving her kid with, you know, her parents, which like it's you know, I know that this was to some extent based on Stephanie Land's actual life, you know, and, um, mm. you know, but just for people that like don't have family to fall back on, 
you know, like, I mean, what the fuck are you supposed to do? And I, I do feel like, you know, particularly like for people that haven't been through a certain experience, like art can like show people in some really concrete ways, like what it is like to go through something like that. And as you said, like, it's also like a beautiful tool for making people feel less alone. Like if I am feeling fucked up about something, like I don't want to read a self-help book. I want to read like a novel where, you know, somebody is just able to, to give words to like feelings that I haven't, you know, been able to, to describe before. Like it is a really profound, um, it is a really profound thing. Yeah, absolutely. It And one thing that you said that was interesting um, or, or made me think like, you know, with something like made, like it's so great that you can show that to a conservative relative and like, you know, sort of the, sort of make them see how hard it is to get government assistance, how impossible it is. And um, at the same time, it's like, you know, a lot of the studios that are funding these projects and a lot of the creators behind them or I don't know about creators, but a lot of, you know, the high level people creating art that shows has a message like that is also a lot probably assuming easier for them than actually supporting policies that would help people in these real life situations and supporting politicians that have those policies. And um, I think that's where the question is, like, how much does art actually do? Because if it's like these studios are making these projects to show people how fucked up the world is and then continuing in their own practices to fuck the world up with their uh, their behavior and support politicians who perpetuate the status quo like then how much are we actually put able to push forward? Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, corporations in general love to do that. Um, oh, yeah. To just, yeah, man, I'm thinking about Uber, like, <laughs> like the Prop 22 thing in California, just like, oh, yeah, this uh, is going to be so helpful to you know, the, the, the ability to not get paid a regular wage or have regular benefits is going to be so helpful to so many people of color. It's like, dude, fuck you. Fuck you. Seriously. 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 That was such a fucking bummer. Oh, my God. Yeah. But the entertainment industry does love to do that in a very spe- specific way, which is to, like, you know, make this content that is, like, you know, woke, even though I like hate that word. And I think that like only I, I hate its current usage. Like, I feel like it's becoming just a, a thing for consu- conservative boomers to say. But, you know, they do love to like make work that has like a a message of like, you know, not being racist or sexist or homophobic, but then go support policies that are going to like you know, perpetuate all of those forms of oppression. So, yeah, it's really fucked up. Um, yes. <laughs> so I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation so much. I was wondering if you'd be willing to tell our listeners where they can see your work. Yes. Um. So The End of Us is out on December 7th, and you can watch it on um, Apple or anywhere really where you can buy or rent a movie. Um, it's in the theaters also start now for, I think, a week. Um, and yeah. And then, you know, I, I have um, I have other, like, I wrote a couple episodes of Morning Show Season 2 that's out, and I'm on Instagram. I'm the real Ali Vingiano, and um, that I think that's it. Well, Ali, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show and just in general for being someone that just supports awesome stuff. Um, Listeners, please check out Ali's work. And yeah, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Reply Guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. 
Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.